Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, New York City. And it's the Tuesday edition of This Is America. You can uh, follow me at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I want to interact with you guys because I want to get to a couple of topics. I want to talk about Biden, his bad numbers, the economy. We're going to play some audio on that. Plus, we're going to get into COVID. What's going on with Ron DeSantis? Well, he's fighting back against the FDA and against the Biden administration because they're pulling back some of the therapeutics that have been helping people that he's really championed and pioneered in the state of Florida, making sure they're accessible and available to everybody. Plus, Black Lives Matter, they've um, they've really made some stupid comments in the past, but what they're saying now really takes the cake. This as uh, the second officer has now uh, been pronounced dead and uh, from that shooting over the weekend, and this is just horrible. So we're going to get to that, and I want to share a story with you that uh, I experienced this morning, and it really was just uh, unsettling to me. Plus, Maybe, maybe, maybe. I really don't like uh, this topic that much, and we've done a lot of it lately. But Ukraine, more of this false flag business. Are we going to war? I don't think so. Is Putin going to war? I don't think so. Uh, but Biden called Ducey NSOB. So <laughs> I want to get to a little bit of audio that I want to play because there's um, some crazy stuff that's going on. Voters are thoroughly not impressed with Joe El Baboso Biden. I want you to listen to this. It's a little bit uh, longer than a minute. But so sincere, so authentic from the actual voters. Check this out. We are a year into unified Democratic control of the House, of the Senate, of the executive branch. Do you feel any differently? Do you feel that Washington understands what all of you are experiencing out there? Beth is shaking her head no. I mean, so many of you are. But have you always felt that way? Or is there a new level of sort of skepticism about Washington. Yeah, I think so. I, I really had such high hopes for this administration when they came in. And um, it's just been one disaster after another. Um, Afghanistan, inflation, take your pick. I just don't understand. I thought this was gonna be a president for the people of the people. And I just feel like it's one you know, hurdle after another that we all have to climb. Chelsea, I saw you raise your hand. I do agree that fundamentally for me, nothing has changed. I think that I am more skeptical now. My life has not improved. COVID has not improved. Biden has not, you know, stuck to any of his promises. Um, I don't think any anyone in Washington is really for working people. And that has been mm-hmm. so clear this year. Absolutely clear. This is a big part of why people are upset. Not only is it just the economy. Of course, Bill Clinton famously said it's the economy, stupid. And that's a quote from the Raging Cajun, his campaign advisor. But everyday people just have had enough. NBC News is reporting that six in 10 disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy, with more than half giving him a thumbs down on his dealing with the coronavirus. His overall job rating amongst adults stands at 43 percent approval and 54% disapproval. But it's the numbers that go further below that paint a grim picture for the White House. And this is according to the NBC News survey. Biden's standing amongst key parts of the Democrat base has eroded while just 15% of Americans strongly approve of his job performance compared to 43% who strongly disapprove. And only 5% believe his presidency has actually been better than it was expected to be. Now, Rasmussen reports says it's about the economy. More voters now view the economy as unfair, in particular minority voters, because of the Biden administration's handling. 
And this is according to a new national telephone and online survey by Rasmussen Reports, finding that only 7% of likely U.S. voters believe the economy is very fair, generally speaking. Another 26% think the economy is somewhat fair. Then you got 29% that say the economy is not very fair, and 31% view the economy as not fair at all. These findings reflect a sharp shift since the 2019 poll, where it was 56% of voters that felt the economy was at least somewhat fair, and only 15% thought it was not fair at all. Wow, what a shift. Just give it to Joe El Baboso Biden and his partner in crime, Que Mala Eres. And that's it. That dynamic duo, they can destroy absolutely anything. This is why we've got the problems we've got. Then not to mention the vast war against our culture. So many young moms that are out there that want to raise a little girl and want to raise a little boy are now facing the pressures of their kids coming home to them saying, no, well, my teacher told me I have to be this or I'm no longer a boy. I'm a that or I'm not binary. I'm not this and I'm not that. You think that's not really happening? It is. About five or six episodes ago, we talked about a mom in uh, California and her kid was in the Spreckles Unified School District. Well, that mom has filed a lawsuit and we'll get to that on tomorrow's uh, episode of This Is America. But we had talked about it and now she's filed a lawsuit. And I really want to drill down on that because the, the poor kid is so confused and they were doing this in secret, secret gay straight alliance clubs behind the parents back, helping these students to transition without including the parents in any way. That's crazy. I'm looking at a tweet, and I don't have the um, link to it, but I do have a screenshot that includes a link to it. And it's just a crazy photo. I mean, just let me read this to you. It says, what is our position on sex work? Right? Because they're redefining everything. Things that were once bad are no longer bad. Selling your body, selling sex, that's no longer prostitution, according to the left. This is now sex work. And it's real work. And they, this is what they say. They support sex workers' rights. We believe that sex workers deserve sexual and reproductive health services that are inclusive, non-judgmental, and relevant to their needs. Today is international. <laughs> oh gosh, take two. Today is International Sex Workers Day, and we're sharing the findings of our community-based research projected from last year to better understand youth sex workers' sexual and reproductive health needs. That's right, and it's underlined here in this post in red: youth sex workers' sexual and reproductive health needs. I didn't even know they had such a thing as youth sex workers. I didn't know that was legal. The study was conducted in partnership with Maggie's Toronto Sex Workers Action Project and researchers from the University of Toronto. I tell you, these Canadians, I'm very, very suspect. I really, really am. And the website is PPT, I guess that's Planned Parenthood Toronto, dot O-N, like Ontario, dot C-A, like Canada. And I'll tweet this out and I'll take a screen grab and put it on Getter and Parler and Facebook and Instagram as well. But this is absolutely crazy. And it's because of this that people are up in arms and they're saying, you know what? I've heard enough. I've had enough and I've heard enough. Now, a lot of people think, and listen, I contribute to this. I like to make fun of Joe El Baboso Biden because of the way he speaks, whether it's because of a disability or not is uh, irrelevant to me, but I don't discount him. And I mentioned this on the last show, and I'm just going to reiterate it because I do think that he can be an evil mastermind. I do think that Americans are becoming accustomed to having less options. Third world styled living has come to America in many places, bare shelves in certain places, products that are not available in certain places. I went to buy spinach the other day, and the last time I was there about nine or 10 days ago, I had three different spinach brands to choose from. I went a few days ago, no spinach at all. So this is something I've never seen before. Now, again, I'll, I'll eat something else, arugula. But my point is people are becoming accustomed to this. I wanted to buy an engine for my daughter's car. It's a 2008 Honda Accord. Had a tough time finding one. And when I did, they nearly doubled in price from the first time I had priced them a few days earlier. We've already talked about it right here on this program. That inflation is up to 37% for used car and used car parts. So when people say we have a supply chain crisis, I understand. And one presumes that it's something we're going to get through. But what if this is all part of some sinister plan to bring people to their knees, to bring people to succumb to the will of the government? Now, I know I'm getting very conspiratorial here. Let me put on my tinfoil hat for a second. But is this not how they did it in Venezuela? Is this not how they did it in Cuba? You begin to limit access to food so that when people want food, 
they know where they have to go. So for a while, the rich can do it. And again, it's a gradual thing because the way that bureaucrats have always worked is by using incrementalism. We do a little bit at a time. And then once something becomes that new normal, then you introduce the next thing. And some could say this is a sinister plot. Others might say that's just a natural progression of things. That's a very progressive outlook because we have, you know, way too much excess in food. We have way too much consumption in America. We're overweight. Whatever the thinking behind it is, I'm just asking the question. Is there a correlation between our quote unquote supply chain crisis, which I think has many parts, restrictive regulations in California that don't allow enough of the containers to be emptied and put on the back of a truck. There's not enough of those chassis tractor trailers that are meeting the standard. I think it's also part of the fact that when these unions, longshoremen, teamsters, and others that are involved in the supply chain, when they're having union negotiations, especially like they did last November, last December, many people told me, no, this is what they're doing. They know that they can hold Christmas hostage and say, look, if you don't succumb to our demands, if you don't give in and acquiesce to what we're asking for, we will slow down your Christmas. You'll have Christmas in January or in February or not at all. And I don't know if that type of heavy-handed negotiation was going on, but I can tell you this. Somebody that wasn't heavy-handed and looking for a peaceful solution was Joe Biden. He sat that one out and didn't do a darn thing. Now, when the air traffic control people were on strike, Reagan got involved because they worked at federally um, owned sites like airports, which are technically federal contractors, like ports, which are federal property. They're managed by the federal government. So, yeah, Biden could have gotten involved and helped these negotiations along the way and forced the hands of a few people to say, look, we can't punish America because you guys want to play politics with your union contract. But that didn't happen, nor did the media even get involved in bat an eye. But all that being said, it still leaves me the desire to know, is there more than meets the eye with the diminishing amounts of food options? I don't know. You let me know what your thoughts are at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And that's a gar- excuse me, parlor getter. I was going to put those together and call it Garler. <laughs> and, and they're both terrific, by the way. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yep, I'm still with all of them because we need to reach as many people as we can. And by the way, Facebook now, if you uh, follow my Facebook page, the app now allows This is America podcast to be embedded into the feed. And you can actually listen to This is America right through Facebook without ever having to go into your podcast app, without having to turn on a radio or tell your Alexa smart speaker, hey, Alexa, play This is America with Rich Valdez or "Okay, Google, play This is America with Rich Valdez. You don't have to do any of those things. Now you can just go to Facebook and press play. Who would have known? Anyway, straight ahead. I want to talk about what's going on with uh, the latest with COVID-19. How is it that the Biden administration is now playing politics with these monoclonal antibody treatments? DeSantis fires at them. Pasaki with the silent P. She fires back at DeSantis. Plus, there's some interesting information coming out of Scotland that was pointed out in the blaze. So I want to get to all of that and more. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. 
This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Please uh, give me a follow there. I'm trying to grow this Instagram because once it gets to a certain point, you get to have a lot more fun than you normally have. There's uh, some cool features that apparently are available, which I don't have access to because I don't have enough uh, friends. <laughs> so if you're listening to the show, give us a follow on Instagram. Help us grow that Facebook page. And uh, we're doing great on some of the other ones. And uh, anyway, enough of that. I want to get into this stuff where they're going after Ron DeSantis and hurting the good people in Florida. Because this one to me is really uh, egregious. This seems like, wow, it seems like DeSantis gets enough headlines and is able to galvanize the conservative base. And there are just independent people that say, you know what? Yeah, he's right. People like the idea that you can optionally wear a mask. You can optionally do what you want. If you get sick, you can take the the treatment. And he's not forcing vaccines, but he's saying, if you get sick, we're going to help you. Now, of course, the Democrats, they want to say, that's irresponsible. You got to vax, 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 vax. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to hear what Ron DeSantis had to say in response to the Biden administration saying, you know what, we're not going to send you as, as many of these monoclonal antibodies anymore because they're not effective against Omicron. Check this out. Early this morning, uh, thousands of Floridians woke up to news that their appointments to get treatment for COVID-19 infection uh, were canceled by the Biden administration, which revoked, outright revoked authorization for two very popular monoclonal antibody treatments that the state of Florida really pioneered over the summer and that we've worked hard to make available uh, to our residents uh, who needed treatment. Mind you, the number of the people that seek this treatment are overwhelmingly people that have been vaccinated, um, but yet they're still infected and many of them are high risk. Now they are relying on revoking this and pulling the rug out from under people on a single non-peer-reviewed, non-clinical study that was actually done by a consultant for a rival company to the other two monoclonal antibody treatments. This is not based on a clinical trial. This is not even peer-reviewed. And so this is something that they claim shouldn't be used because we have Omicron. And what we would say in Florida is we have had people use it and we've had good results. It's not 100%. We understand that. Uh, But you also don't even know when someone goes in whether it's Omicron or still the Delta. Yes, mostly in Florida, it's going to be Omicron at this point. Uh, But it's really a reckless decision to be able to take this option away from patients. Absolutely reckless is right. And I love that DeSantis, he doesn't skip a beat. He doesn't wait two minutes. He doesn't take an hour, three hours, three days to respond to this stuff. It happens this morning. By this afternoon, he's going ahead and making this statement because he stands up for the people. And I I love that about the guy. He's always throwing that punch, punching up and punching first. He's got to do it. And when necessary, you punch back. Now, of course, Jen Pacircle back, Pasaki fired back saying, oh, no, 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 but that's not the case. Let me explain it to you. Following this move by the Food and Drug Administration to close Florida's monoclonal antibody treatment sites, the White House stated that the treatments used by the state do not work against the Omicron variant and have side effects. Oh, so DeSantis is questioning the fact that the studies aren't peer reviewed. And she's saying that these treatments now have side effects. So we got to get rid of them. Now, this is according to the post-millennial. Pisaki said that the FDA made its withdrawal because they're trying to take a step back to realize how crazy it is. And I've got the audio. We're going to play it right now. But she says that the government's provided 71,000 antiviral doses to the state. Now, she's throwing out these numbers because she wants people to think, well, that's a whole bunch. They're taking care of you. They're not trying to play politics with you so that your numbers will go up, so that your death count will go up. Because why? They want DeSantis to fail, even if it means Americans dying. That's my opinion. Listen to Jen Pacircle back Pasaki. The FDA yesterday withdrew the EUA for some monoclonal antibody treatments because they don't work against. Again, that EUA is the emergency use uh, authorization so that people can use these drugs quickly before they've been fully tested for these things, because if they wait the full process, which is a prolonged process, people will die in the interim. And as we know, the monoclonal antibody treatment has been saving lives for the last year or so. Go ahead. 
but Florida continues to push for the treatment for people in the state. What's your response to Governor Santis, and what's your message to the people of Florida? Well, let's just take a step back here just to realize how crazy this is a little bit. Um, We've approached uh, COVID treatments like filling a medicine cabinet. We're not relying on one type, one brand, or treatment. We invested in and continue to buy a variety across monoclonal antibodies, pre-exposure prevention therapies, and oral antivirals. We have provided 71,000 doses of antivirals to Florida, including 34,000 additional treatments that do work against Omicron just this last week. I'm sorry, about of a range of those treatments, I should say, to be clear. What the FDA is making clear is that these treatments, the ones that they are fighting over, that the governor is fighting over, do not work against Omicron, and they have side effects. That is what the scientists are saying. We have sent them 71,000 doses of treatments that are effective against Omicron and are effective also against Delta. Uh, And they are still advocating uh, for treatments that don't work. Uh, We've seen, unfortunately, from the beginning uh, in our pandemic response. Hold on. So she's saying that these treatments don't work and that they have side effects. That's funny because if you said that before, you were labeled a conspiracy theorist, right? A tinfoil hat. Looks like Jen Pacircle back. Pasaki, silent P, of course. It seems like she might be jumping on the um, conspiracy bandwagon. I don't know. I'm not there, but interesting. A range of steps or pushes that have been made through social media platforms, unfortunately, from the mouths of elected officials uh, and the advocating for things that don't work, even when we know things do work. Injecting disinfectant. Oh, there's a nice little dig at Trump. Injecting disinfectant. When he, he, in effect, did talk about how you could use a disinfectant, not bleach, or uh, what's the stuff that I use? Mistolin, fabuloso, the purple stuff that smells terrific. Um, that's the uh, disinfectant that so many uh, Hispanic households use. Trump was never suggesting that, but they twisted it. And in fact, there were these you know, uh, trials where they'd done those things. There was even those UV light therapies where they talked about this stuff. But she always wants to take a shot at El Trompito because she's Jen Pacircleback Pasaki. Let's catch the end of this. Promoting other pseudoscience, sowing doubt on the effectiveness of vaccines and boosters, and now promoting treatments that don't work. We know it works, vaccines and boosters. We have a range of doses of things that do work in treatments, and we're providing those to Florida. So the FDA stands by their decision saying that the data that they saw says that these uh, treatments are highly unlikely, quote unquote, to be effective against Omicron. And Omicron has become the dominant variant in the United States since uh, mid-December and accounts for up to 99% of cases nationwide at this point. So that's that story. But what I want to look at is this study. Now, not that particular study, but another study that recently came out. And this is a piece by Daniel Horowitz in The Blaze. This I find very interesting because this has come into question on a number of occasions. Are the vaccines entirely safe? Now, of course, I think the answer to that is a resounding no, they're not entirely safe. I'm sure there are people that are going to have adverse reactions and they're going to suffer and and maybe mildly, maybe severely, maybe up to and including death. I think that happens with any medicine that you take. There's always that chance. That's why they call it practicing medicine. I get that. But this is eye-opening analysis at this data, and I want to jump into a little bit of it. Some of the things they said were the vaccines are incredibly safe. They protect us against Omicron. They protect us against Delta. They protect us against every COVID. Those were the words of fully vaccinated CDC Director Rochelle Walensky while testifying before a Senate health committee with two masks on her face. And that was a few just 10 days ago, January 11th, 12 days ago. All right. I don't know how to do math. 14 days ago, Scottish data shows that the COVID-19 age standardized case rate is the highest amongst the two dose vaccinated and lowest amongst the unvaccinated. Whoa, go Scotland for putting out the truth. It further shows this trend of negative efficacy for the double vaccinated, persisting for hospitalizations and for deaths. Something is very wrong here, and together with the other data points, it raises concerning questions about the negative effect of waning antibodies, constant boosting, and the consequences of a leaky vaccine with narrow-spectrum suboptimal antibodies against an ever-evolving virus. Makes a lot of sense. Every Wednesday, Public Health Scotland, PHS, has been publishing a weekly report on COVID data and juxtaposes vaccination rates. Table 14 of this week's public health record shows that Right there in plain English and math, a rate of negative negative efficacy for the vaccine. As you can see, and if you're looking at the chart like I am, the overall Omicron wave seems to be receding in Scotland. 
Now, age standardized case rates per 100,000 were the lowest in the unvaccinated cohort every week for the past four weeks. Thus, it's not just the fact that the unvaccinated are accounting for only 11.5% of all cases overall, in the, at least in the last two weeks that they're showing, but even adjusted for age stratified vaccination rates, the unvaccinated had the lowest infection rate out of the four cohorts, especially during the peak of Omicron. Moreover, they see that even the triple vaccinated clearly have no efficacy against the infection, although they have some degree less negative efficacy than the double vaccinated. Interesting. And you can check that out. I will uh, share this on social media so that you could follow along. But I think it's a very interesting piece. Now, that's interesting. And in the Epic Times, January 25th, Peter Svab headline. Why are non-COVID-19 deaths spiking among prime age Americans? Americans have been dying at a significantly higher rate over the past two years. But the COVID-19 pandemic tells only part of that story. Among senior citizens, the pandemic could explain the increase in mortality more easily than amongst younger people, where there's a gap requiring further explanation. Overall, there appears to be three distinct patterns in the data that's based on age. For example, those aged 17 and younger, their mortality has remained virtually unchanged since 2019. But among the 65 and older crowd, mortality has increased in particular in 2020, but has since dropped in the first half of 2021. This coincides with the uh, proliferation of the COVID-19 vaccines, which increased in the third quarter of 2021. Also coincides with the emergence of the Delta variant, which also appeared to be more resistant to the vaccines. Now, amongst those ages 18 to 49, mortality rose dramatically in the first half of 2020, then somewhat plateaued before increasing again in the third quarter of 2021. The age group for 50 to 64 appears to display a mix of the, the latter two patterns. The differences between the age groups becomes more apparent when deaths involving COVID-19 are highlighted. For those younger than 18, COVID-19-related deaths barely register when visualized. Well, that we know. Now, part of the reason more people are dying, according to the Epic Times, is that drug overdoses have skyrocketed in 2020, with more than 20,000 more people dying in the age of 18 to 64. 20,000 more than in 2019. The CDC has some preliminary data for the first half of 2021, and it indicates that the trend has gotten even more intensified, which stinks. Now, here's another interesting part. Deaths involving alcohol, not alcohol poisoning, but those due to alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver and other alcohol-induced causes have been on the rise in recent years, but the 2020 increase was particularly significant, nearly 8,000 more deaths in 2020 than in 2019 in that 18 to 64 age group. Still waiting for the 2021 data. Now, there's a growing group of doctors and researchers who are pointing out that the COVID-19 vaccines might be a possible culprit in at least a portion of the excess deaths in 2021. They usually point to several physiological mechanisms through which vaccines could cause harm combined with other known side effects, as well as data from the vaccine adverse event reporting system known as VAERS. A database of reports of public health problems that have occurred after COVID-19 vaccination that may or may not have been caused by it. And I'll get into this very stuff a little bit, but there's also some audio that I want to play because th this is being talked about right now in hearings on Capitol Hill. And they're putting it out there. When they introduced the COVID-19 vaccine, VAERS reports exploded. By January 7th, there were more than a million reports in the system, including more than 21,000 deaths. Previously, there would be about 40,000 reports and a few hundred deaths per year. Reports are largely filed by healthcare personnel and based on previous research. And it's these vaccine injuries that are being argued right now in Congress. I have this clip of audio I want you to hear because a lawyer representing litigants that are suing the government had some really interesting stuff to share with Ron Johnson. Listen to this. Apparently one of the whistleblowers is brave enough to come forward and 
given him or I would not have allowed you to come to yes, talk Senator. about Yes, Senator. So we've got three whistleblowers who have given me permission at this point to share their name. Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Teresa Long, DOMPH, Dr. Samuel Sigloff, and Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Peter Chambers, DO and Flight Surgeon. All three have, have given me this data. I have declarations from all three. This data is under penalty. Uh, this is under penalty of perjury. We intend to submit this to the courts. Uh, we have substantial data showing that uh, we saw, for example, uh, miscarriages increased by 300% over the five-year average, almost. Uh, we saw almost 300% increase in cancer over the five-year average. Cancer is not being talked about except for by Dr. Ryan Cole. Thank you, doctor. Uh, we saw, this one's amazing, neurological. So f neurological issues which would affect our pilots. Over a thousand percent increase. A uh, thousand. Ten, ten times. That's ten times the rate, and obviously that resonates. 83,000 per year, to, I'm sorry, 82,000 per year to 863,000 in one year. Our soldiers are being experimented on, injured, and sometimes possibly killed. Dr. Corey, thank you so much for your stance on the corruption. That's precisely what it is. Now, that's from a Senate panel called. COVID-19, a second opinion hosted in Washington, D.C. by Senator Ron Johnson. And these bombshells just came in one after the other. Doctors from across the spectrum speaking up about what they're seeing on the ground while other expert panelists weighed in with this damning data. And I read some of that to you. And it's crazy. And we also uh, covered some of that in the piece with, from Daniel Horowitz. But that's attorney Thomas Renz. And uh, he had a little bit more to say. Listen to this. They know this, and Senator, uh, when these doctors are attacked, not necessarily the people in this room, I'm give, not giving names, they call me. I'm the one dealing with the medical boards. I'm the one watching the witch hunts. I'm the one fighting them off, and I'm the one telling them where to go. I'm going to keep doing that. Senator, we also have, uh, let me give you this last thing, and then I'll shut up and uh, get out of your way. 928, 2021. Project Salus weekly report. Project Salus is a defense department initiative where they report and contract, uh, they take all this data that doesn't exist supposedly and they give it to the CDC. They're watching these vaccines. On that date and around that date, I have numerous instances where Fauci and that entire crew were saying it's a crisis of unvaxed. It's 99% unvaxed in the hospital. In Project Salus, in the weekly report, the DOD document, says specifically 71% of new cases are in the fully vaxxed and 60% of hospitalizations are in the fully vaxxed. This is corruption at the highest level. We need investigations. The Secretary of Defense needs investigated. The CDC needs to be investigated. And thank you so much, Senator, for having the courage to stand against these special interests. So this attorney, Renz, he's representing several whistleblowers. And in the testimony that he delivered, you'd think that's enough to compel the government to immediately take a look at things and check things out. But no, they're not doing that. Of course, there's under the pressure of the establishment and the bureaucrats and the big pharma people. And it's just not a winnable situation right now. And that's why he's taking legal action. So we're going to keep our ear to the ground on this one because I think that he's he's approaching this the right way leveraging the media leveraging the government or people that are sympathetic in government that are going to give him a, an open ear for him to sound off on this case and I think that's going to allow more people to be aware of what's going on and then make a decision on you know hey is this guy a crackpot or not so we're going to get to that but again those are some serious numbers neurological damage 82,000 people a year to 863,000 a year Soldiers that are being experimented on. Now, that, I think, has been the case for a very long time. It's happened for a very long time, and not that it's a good thing. It's just it's one of those things that's been happening forever, and we've known about it, and we haven't really stopped it. But now it's kind of spread into the body politic, the society at large. So we will see how this turns out. But straight ahead, BLM, right? I had uh, about a half hour in my car this morning, and I listened to this fascinating interview with Hawk Newsom from Black Lives Matter, and it was in reference to some comments made by Black Lives Matter of Washington, D.C. And I don't think you're going to believe what they had to say. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. I don't know. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. Rich Valdez, this is America. This is America. 
45th President Donald Trump thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. Yeah. an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And uh, second half of the show here, I want to get into this Black Lives Matter stuff because I got into the car this morning and I heard on the Spanish channel. Now, listen, I listen to the Spanish radio because I want to hear a little bit of salsa, right? Maybe a little, que mala, que mala, right? You know, we did that on the other show. But I want to hear a little bit of a diversión, not politics, not news, because I consume myself with that stuff. And of course, I love reggaeton and I love hip hop and I love uh, salsa and merengue. I just, I really enjoy a uh, good bachata every now and again. It's what I like to listen to sometimes. You know, I switch back and forth. I'm like a DJ in the car. But I get in and I hear them saying, we're going to have Eric Adams coming up and in Spanish, of course. And Hawk Newsom, the leader of the New York City BLM chapter or Greater New York BLM. And I thought, wow, I don't like this because I don't listen to this station to get political nonsense. I can get that anywhere else. But they were doing it because they were outraged that Black Lives Matter, which supposedly represents people of color, these Spanish disc jockeys and radio hosts were saying, you know what, you're not representing us because a police officer that's Dominican or of Dominican descent was shot dead. And another one, a Puerto Rican descent or also Dominican, was pronounced dead earlier today. Officer Mora and Officer Rivera. This is a big deal. And they were up in arms because they were saying, you're blaming the cops, but yet we don't feel safe in the streets. And if we can't rely on the cops, what is it that you're doing? Are you negotiating a ceasefire? Are you helping to stop the crazy people. He was asked point blank by Webin, who used to be on the uh, Basilón de la Mañana, still is on El Basilón. And, and the guy literally tells him about systemic racism. Hawk Newsom is the guy I'm referencing about institutionalized discrimination. Totally ignores the question. Totally obfuscates the entire issue at hand that these cops were killed. Totally outrageous. And then they bring in this uh, Puerto Rican dude Sergeant Arellis, terrific, terrific. They start losing it. You start hearing them saying BS and dropping the F-bomb. They're cursing at each other. I mean, it was just so passionate. What great radio. Not for that station, not that genre, but, man, this was terrific. They also had a woman um, detective, a retired detective named Maisonette. I mean, it was just really great radio. And my thinking was people are right. You know, you can't put everybody in the minority groups or groupings in the same bucket, if you will. Hispanics are not monolithic that way. There was many people that were calling, and I chimed in a little bit on Twitter, and some of the people that commented on that were saying the same thing, that this guy is a disgrace. And the guy that shot those cops is a disgrace. And we can't blame it all on mental illness because he murdered people. And people that murder people have to pay the price. But... The BLM chapter in Washington, D.C. is fuming. This is according to the New York Post about cops that get shot and we can't automatically deem them heroes, quote unquote. Saying this on Twitter, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's all wait till we have all the information. Isn't that what y'all tell us? Parenthetical. Oh, yeah. And that he had a gun because cops carry guns. Excuse me? <laughs> Will the media post a picture and list every mistake they've made since kindergarten? Now, this is exactly the type of stupidity that they were engaging in in this interview. Now, I find this stuff uh, way beyond the pale because check this out. Two cops show up to a, a domestic violence, a mom and a son fighting. The son disappears. He goes, gets a gun. He hides behind a door and he guns down these two cops. Third cop comes in, takes out the bad guy or, you know, brings him down. And I, I, I just... I can't imagine anybody trying to defend that situation. Yet, that's exactly what's happening. They're trying to defend that situation. Please chime in on any of the social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Getter or Parler. Let me know what your thoughts here, because this one really, to me, I think you've got to be out of your damn mind to try and defend. I don't care what color anybody is. Two brown cops by their standard and a black killer. Where's the racism in this? The guy was bad. He was taken out and he took out two cops. 
God rest their souls, prayers to their families. This to me is outrageous. But the Black Lives Matter chapter of Washington, D.C. called for the public to say, you know, hold on, don't do it yet. And this was in a series of tweets that they put out there asking people to do that because we can't just say they're heroes. Trying to put the blame on police, saying these scenarios represent what happened, but it doesn't explain our skepticism or their interest in details. This is a quote from them. And it highlights the different ways in how people talk and act when an officer is hurt versus when a black person is hurt, is what the BLM chapter tweeted. No one asked what the cop did wrong. Excuse me. An average citizen doesn't have a right to murder the police unless the police are trying to murder them unlawfully. And murder, last I checked, is always unlawful. So it's not about jumping to conclusions. This guy is a crazy man, a career criminal. If you want to hear his history, listen to the last episode. We went into it. The guy is from PA most recently. But this type of thing can't be tolerated. I'm glad that the people at La Mega 97.9 FM in New York and what other other stations are carrying that program. I'm glad they stood up to try to address this because the propaganda from Black Lives Matter and from the left has to stop. We can't justify killing people, period. Let alone black men, criminals, killing Hispanic cops and somehow that being race motivated. The whole thing is BS, it's fake, it's phony, and it's fraud. And before I move on from the Spanish radio, I've always thought it would be so cool if I could get like a um, a weekend DJ job, right? Just spinning like Spanish tracks. I think that would be so much fun. And I got inspired by, by Mark Levin because he loves to listen to Motown. And he always says, man, I'd love to have a, a Motown show just to DJ the music. And I think, you know what? That'd be cool, man. Imagine doing some like classic old school hip hop for me. I mean, that's what I like. I know it's not Barry Manilow, but that's what I'm into. You know, or uh, even the, the Spanish tracks, you know, some some reggaeton, a little bit of that, you know, just being with you uh, every afternoon on a Sunday or a Saturday and just kicking back and playing a few tracks. I don't know. I think that would be cool. But anyway, more to come if that actually happens. Straight ahead, we're going to wrap all of this up. My final thoughts on everything. I don't know if I'm going to get into Biden and the whole SOB comment with Peter Ducey, but we'll see. Don't move a muscle. Rich Valdez, this is America. This is America. This is America. He's got the best head of hair in podcasting. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're wrapping it up, man, and we've got some footage out there. I'm going to put it out on uh, Twitter and all the Facebooks and all the Instagrams and all the everythings. Uh, But it's a bunch of illegal aliens being released by the federal government into uh, the interior of the United States. So we're going to get to that. Plus... We've got Michael Avenatti. This is just a headline, but I think it's funny. A judge is saying that, yes, he is now allowed to represent himself in his case against Stormy Daniels. And I just think that's so funny. I mean, the, the guy, he um, he's in jail for ripping people off. So who really cares what happens in his case against Stormy Daniels? But that's what's going on there. Now, in other news, some Republicans are considering shutting down the federal government if the next funding bill includes money for a federal COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Fox News reported that Chip Roy of Texas and others are circulating this letter saying that's exactly what they intend to do. So we're going to follow this to see you know, exactly how it pans out. I think that's the way you fight this fight. That's always the way you fight this fight. And I just wanted to give a shout out to some conservative activists and parents because they're now pushing for curriculum transparency. And I think this is good because first they fought the critical race theory. Now they're focused on curriculum transparency. This is NBC News. Conservative activists want schools to post lesson plans online, but free speech advocates warn such policies could lead to more censorship in K-12 schools. Ooh. It's by Tyler King Cade. State legislatures kick into gear this month. Republican governors and lawmakers who have fought to limit discussions of race in public schools are lining up to support this new aim, curriculum transparency. I think it's a great idea. They're looking at this in 12 states, and they've introduced this legislation to require schools to post everything online, kind of like, um, you know, your professor would in college, you know, one of your portals. I think this is a good idea. Obviously, there's some back and forth on the issue. I'm not going to read the entire article because... I think the the gist of it was kind of laid out in the first couple of paragraphs. It doesn't tell a very deep story here, but it's a it's a good topic. It's a good conversation to have and one that we should pay, I think, close attention to because these are our children. 
These are our schools. After all, this is what our tax dollars go toward. So why not keep our finger on the pulse of exactly what's going on? Just like we have to keep our finger on the pulse with that attorney who's filing that claim because cancer diagnoses in the military rose over threefold since the vaccines were released. I mean, that's just according to the data that they found. Then you've got the deaths that are spiking amongst certain age groups. And we talked about that. And before we go out, there's one last clip of audio I want to play for you. And it's uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who's doing like a town hall meeting with his constituents. And uh, they begin to heckle him. Now, listen, I uh, don't know Dan Crenshaw. I've never met him. But I can say that I think when you hear this exchange, you're going to kind of get the gist of where they're coming from and where he's coming from and how we could have kind of improved on this whole situation. But listen to this. Um, my question is on the January 6th. What have you done to help any of these people that are being held without any due process? They are, there is no due process. They're political prisoners. Representative Crenshaw, what have you personally done to help yeah. get them out? Look, I agree with you. You can't, and this is a problem throughout the country, you cannot, you cannot hold somebody without due process and without a, a swift trial. You just can't. Um, they are doing it. And what, what, what power do we have? I wish, I wish I could tell you something, that there's a bill we could pass, that we had the majorities. I wish, I wish there was. Have you, have you done anything to help, is my question. Uh, look, look, like I said, I mean, what, which, what, like what? You're, you're a congressman that, that represents the state of Texas. Is there anything else you can do? I mean, do we throw our hands up and say, uh, I'm sorry? I mean, if I, if I went and saw them, that would gain a lot of attention for me and do nothing for them. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, the, they're starting to boo him at this point because he's trying to level with them. I, if, if you want, if you want their, if you want a performance, they can give you a performance. Uh, okay. I don't. I, I wish I had the authority to help. I just. We do not. I, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you we have authorities that we don't. If there's nothing you can do, why do we need you? If there's nothing you can do, why do we need you? Is what one man in the crowd yells from the back. A guy that's off mic. So again, putting decorum aside, that you know he should have waited his turn to get on the mic, but he thinks he's some sort of hero. Right. He's, you know, yeah, if you're a congressman representing the whatever umpteenth district of, of Texas, why aren't you banging down the door to that D.C. jail? Now, clearly, this is something that's formed in some level of ignorance. Right. You know, I spent some time in the government, so I guess I have a different view of these things. But this is politics 101. When I worked in the government, the answer to these situations was always in bureaucrat speak. We can definitely have a conversation about that. That's it. Crenshaw didn't handle this great, but he's not necessarily guilty here. The first question should have been asked and answered was this. Do you have any constituents from your district here in Texas that are being held in that D.C. jail? Because if he doesn't, it's going to be a challenge for him to represent those people. He can sign on to things with other members of Congress. But if he's not directly representing the interests of the people that elected him, what are we going to do now? You could say, oh, those people elected him and it's their interest to help their fellow American. That's fine. But they need to lobby their congressperson. And you could still lobby your congressperson if there's some sort of measure that he could vote on in a committee or something like that. But by himself, what's he going to do now? If there are some people from Texas, then, yes, you should have your constituent services people all over that constantly finding out how they can help their people. I'm not trying to defend Crenshaw. I'm trying to make sense of what's going on here. You've got frustrated constituents, and part of his job is to allay these concerns and help them to understand the process. A congressman can only advocate for his constituencies that they represent in their, in, in their district. And that's kind of how it works. I, I know that he tried to level with them. But I, I go through this similar process with a family member of mine who swears by conspiracy theories. He loves them. To him, everything's black and white. There is no gray. You know, and he's like the guy in the audience. He thinks, oh, Crenshaw's a member of Congress. He could shut this thing down if he wants. That's not necessarily the case. But so many people want to be ahead of the curve here without the facts, without the details. I could care less if I'm ahead of anything. I don't want to be first. I want to be right. If, if I even get involved in something, because I'm not a fortune teller and I don't care to be one. 
And I think you have to be honest with people when they ask these questions. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? There's so many things that matter here. So I don't know. I'm not putting Crenshaw on trial for this, at least, because I don't think that there was much more he could have done unless we know for a fact that somebody from his district is in jail and then he's not doing his job. But until we know that, we can't just sit here and presume that everybody has these unlimited powers. They don't. Like I said, I go through with a family member of mine. He constantly tells me the military is going to step in. I go, step into what? Who's in charge of the military? What military is allowed to step in? We saw General Mark Milley step in and pick up a phone and tell his Chinese general colleague that if, you know, if things go down and the stuff is going to hit the fan, I'm going to give you a call. I'm going to give you a heads up. And we were outraged by this. That was him stepping in. Yet some people think that it's okay to like send military cops inside to the Oval Office, take Biden out in handcuffs. By what constitutional authority can any of those people do that? We know that they can't because they would have done it to Trump. We need to be judicious in everything we do and prudent and stop living in this fantasy land of obsession over jailing people. I saw a video the other day of somebody chanting, uh, locking up Fauci or locking up somebody else. And I'm thinking it's fun. It's great for a rally. But is it realistic? Other than like Rod Blagojevich and a few other governors that have gotten in trouble. When do you see this happen in the United States? Now, if you're saying, oh, Rich, you're one of them, you're, you're the deep state. If you don't think we can put our electeds in jail, that's not what I said. I'm saying you haven't seen it, and nor do I think we're going to see it. But some people swear as if they, you know, they've got the answers to the test. Oh, you're going to watch. You wait and see. Mass arrests are coming. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Please don't take your eye off the ball, which is right in front of you. Your neighborhood, your school board, your election, your friends, getting them can't move forward on elections if we don't fix 2020. Guess what? You got punched in the face. Can you say, because I got punched in the face one time, I can never walk down the street again? Of course not. You walk down the street again. Hopefully you don't get punched in the face next time. If they try to do it, you know what to do to stop it. That's what they're doing in Georgia. That's what they're doing in Pennsylvania. That's why people are working these cases legally and laws are being changed and the Democrats are desperately trying to pass their voting bill to stop all the corrections that the GOP has made. Process is happening. The progress is there, but it's slow. Listen, I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just trying to make sense of it so that people don't get caught up thinking the wrong thing, thinking that somehow magically we're going to put everybody in jail and they're going to pull this trigger and implode the economy and reset this and reset that. And that's it. Doomsday, Mad Max, rebuild America. Something like that could take 50 years. Don't believe the hype. Don't sip the Kool-Aid. Be educated, be aware, and be alert. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, America. I always say if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So now's the time to do something. Do it peacefully. Do it prudently. Until next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. times like these, it's so important that we focus on the facts. I always tell you to focus on the facts. I think you hear that everywhere you go, and that's because facts are irrefutable. It's the bottom line. It's the real deal. And in times like this of uncertainty, we need to rely on the facts. I get my facts from JustFacts.com. That's F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com. Go to JustFacts.com and sign up for their newsletter, JustFacts.com forward slash rich. Just put my name in there and you'll get it for free. JustFacts.com slash rich.